Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So these next few episodes are really going to focus in on how white teachers have saved my life. Now, I really mean this, and I'm not trying to do this in any flip way at all, like I'm and, and whatnot, because I really want, I understand, I truly do understand that for white teachers, or for white people in general, but for white teachers uh, specifically, right, that when we start talking about student equity and differential impact and historically marginalized groups and things like that, I get how you can feel alienated in the space, right? Just understand that that's how I feel all the time coming from multiple historically marginalized groups, right? And But the, this is to encourage the white teachers to say that, look, there is definitely something that you can do. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for white teachers. And so, um, and so then understand that it's not just going to be, this is not the burden of people of color, right, as teachers or faculty members of color. This is all of our burden, right, because we're all replicating a system and that we all need to reteach ourselves how to do this thing better. Right. And so then the other thing that I want to really do is to emphasize and to really encourage white teachers to say, like, look, sometimes these stories are going to revolve around like these big, huge things that, that actually happen in the classroom or something like that. But most of the things that white teachers have done to encourage me have actually been really small. OK, but there are things that I remember to this day. Right. As a 48 year old uh, you know, professor, you know, that's been teaching for 15 years and whatnot. I still remember things to this day, even though they seemed really small at the time, but they really greatly impacted me. And so those are the things that I want to really encourage people uh, to move through and to be very conscious, right, of how you talk to folks, who you talk to, how you talk to them, because you don't know if you could be making um, you don't know if you could be making that impact, this lasting impact, and that lasting impact could be positive or negative. And so let's be conscious of, of how we're approaching our profession, right? Our profession, our passion, our love of teaching, right? And so then, and so anyway, and so then for me to start all of this off, it, it starts in elementary school. And there's these three teachers that really drastically affected my life. One was Mr. Brown. He was my fifth grade teacher. And then um, in my in sixth grade, it was Mr. Sherman and Miss Maris. Right. And so but in order for you to understand the impact that they had in my life, you have to understand a little bit more about me and my story coming in. And so there's some things that you need to know about my life. That first of all, is that I had an absent father. And when I say absent, I mean, pretty much absent. Um I only have very I have very few memories of him actually being a, a part of our household. And um, and so this caused my mom to have to work a lot. And she was a, she's Japanese and barely spoke English. And so she had to do a lot of menial manual labor uh, type of jobs like assembly line work and like low level assembly line electronics work and working in kitchens and things like that. And so she was always working. We could never make ends meet. 
And as a result of all of these different factors, we wound up moving around a lot. And so this really affected my ability to really develop uh, academically. I'll just say it just like that. It slowed it down tremendously. And I, I did fine. I was I was doing fine. But I, I just remember it was like all the trauma that I was experiencing in my life, just, you know, not being able to settle down and and really, really, honestly, liking school. I really liked school because, honestly, it took me away from all the, the trauma of my mom and dad yelling at each other and poverty and all of this stuff. And so. And so I really liked school. And when it came to the third grade, and by the way, if you listen to, you know, an up, uh, some other episodes, you understand third grade is a real, you know, uh, pivotal moment in my life. In third grade, we had moved around so much. And I remember just all this busyness in my head. And um, and I wind up failing a reading test. I don't know if anybody remembers the GIN. It was a G-I-N-N, like GIN level. And it was like, you know, one, two, three, four, all the way up to 12 and whatnot. And I remember failing my test. And I remember being mad that I failed because I knew I could have did better. I knew I could have passed. And I remember even asking my teacher, can I do this again? Because I, 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 I know I could do better on this. But she didn't let me, and I wound up staying, you know, a level lower on reading than what I probably should have. And so then, well, I would argue, than what I definitely should have. But it is what it is, right? But here's the bad thing, is that um, because I failed at reading at level exam, I know that this is actually part of the deal, is that the work was really easy to me, right? And so I would get done with my work easy, or, you know, really quickly because it was really easy. And because I was talkative, after I was done with my work, I would start talking to all the students and being very disruptive in class. And so, again, in another episode, I had talked about how, like, you know, really trying to figure out why a student's being disruptive may actually help you recognize some different elements in, in the person, right, and what that student may actually be experiencing and whatnot. But you have to understand, right, so I failed that reading level exam I was getting done with my work fast and I was being very disruptive in class. And then Mr. Brown came along. Honestly, I don't remember anything special about what he did to me except this. Whenever I got done with something, he would just give me something else to do. Right. He would just give me more work. And so I was getting done with my work fast and he was seeing that. And so rather than just let me sit there and be disruptive, he would actually just give me more work. And there came a space, like literally, so here I was in the fifth grade and he was just, he just kept giving me work. And all of a sudden I was doing sixth grade work and because I had done all the fifth grade work and I was doing well in the sixth grade work. And I just started doing that and I just kept doing whatever it is he put in front of me. So he recognized that I was getting done with stuff quickly and he just kept giving me more work. He didn't talk to me about it at all. But this to me is like one of the key things that's missing that was missing in my life when it comes to like my experience in the third grade. And so then so so he just kept giving me more work. And then by the end of my fifth grade year, I was doing seventh grade work. Now, here's the deal. I don't want people tripping over themselves thinking that I'm genius or whatever, because I was doing seventh grade work, but I was getting a B. 
right? I was getting B's. I was earning B's, but I was, you know, I was a grade above. And so I'm feeling pretty good about myself about that. But, you know, uh, it's not like I was, you know, you know, crushing the world in regards to how I was doing. I just kept on doing what was put in front of me. And what I remember, right? And so this was not just, it was like my math that he was doing this with. And there was also my language arts. I remember that, that spelling book that we had. And I remember him giving me the, the red one, which signified that I was a level higher. Um, and I remember all the sixth graders in the class just kind of looking at me as a fifth grader around the sixth graders and just kind of, you know, kind of tripping out. Like, yo, what's this dude doing with us? But then they found out really quickly, you know, that I was, at, that I was, you know, working at their level. And so, um, I don't know if the word is I was accepted, but, you know, I just kept doing my work because I really didn't care about I really didn't care about what they thought. I was just I was just happy to continue to do this work. Right. And so but anyway, and so Mr. Brown, he just let me move as fast as I could. And that wound up having paying huge dividends for me. Right. I mean, just me doing what I do got me to two grades above. But when it comes to Miss Maris and Mr. Sharman, so I was able to stay at the same school for two years, which is actually a big deal for me. And Mr. Brown, Mr. Sharman, and Ms. Maris, they must have had some kind of discussion. And I don't know how that quite went. What I do know is this, is that when I ended my fifth grade year, that I was at reading level 12. Or excuse me, I was at reading level 11. But when I got into the sixth grade, they had moved me up to reading level 12. Now, I didn't take a test or anything in order to get to reading level 12. I was literally just skipped. And I'm like, I know, I knew enough then to know that's not how things work around here. But the thing is, is that I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to tell the teachers that they had me in the wrong reading level. I was actually just like, yo, well, I feel like I'm supposed to be here anyway. Like, I'm kid you not. I was remembering all of that stuff from third third grade when I had failed my reading test. I was like, yo, I should be here anyway. And I even remember showing my friends that I had been skipped to reading level 12. Just so I had like witnesses, right? And they would they asked me, it's like, yo, Bruce, well, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, man, I ain't going to tell nobody. It's like, look, if I do well, props to me. But if I don't do well, well, I wasn't supposed to do well. I was I was in a grade higher anyway. And so what's the what's the big deal? And so I go through the whole year at reading level 12 and I wound up passing that reading level 12 test with flying colors. Like, I mean, it was like out of 120 points, I got like 108. Right. And and I remember after that, then I went up to Ms. Maris. And I was like, yo, Ms. Maris, um, I took her back to my folder and I'm like, did you know that I was actually supposed to be in reading level 11, not 12? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that you were supposed to be, you know, it's like I thought you were supposed to be in reading level 12. And then I go back and I show her the folder and it says reading level 11 on it. And she was like, oh, my goodness, you just got finished passing the, you know, reading level 12. Good job. Amazing. Right. And she doesn't say anything more about it. Right. Now, here's the deal. Now, that doesn't I mean, that's a significant thing. Right. But this is actually how significant it was, is that um, because we had that paired class, this is where Mr. Sharman comes in. 
is that because we had that paired class, what they wound up doing is that Miss Maris would wind up teaching the reading section, and then we uh, then half of the class would go over with Mr. Sharman, and he would do the math, right? And then that same group with Mr. Sharman, that they would go over to Miss Maris for the reading, and then that other group would go over to Mr. Sharman with the math. Well, anyway. So what wound up happening though is that that twelve that level that reading level twelve was significant, but because that's where they made the cutoff, like reading level twelve and higher, you got to go with Mr. Sharman first, right? And then you came back second for Mr. Sharman. Reading level eleven was grouped in with everyone else, and so even if you were reading level three you were in the other group, right? So level 11 and down and then 12 and up, but there wasn't a whole bunch up from level 12, right? And so because I was with the reading level 12 folks, I assure you that Mr. Sharman could actually go faster on math stuff because he didn't have to deal with people's reading comprehension and stuff like that. And so then at the end of that year, I was actually... I wound up testing into my junior high year into one of the highest math levels that the school has ever had. We tested into reading level or to math level D or something like that. And I remember three other people in the class testing into that as well. But but everyone was like, they were just amazed that we had tested so high. And I was one of those people. And I guarantee you that I would not have been able to do that from the other math space, right? It's like if I was grouped in with the the level 11s and below, I guarantee you he wouldn't have been able to move as fast. And I'm going to tell you, there was only one student who even made it past, I think, level B or something like that and whatnot. And so, you know, that's my argument. I'm laying that out right now. And so this thing had a a dramatic effect on my life, right? And I've thought about this for years. I'm telling you, I've thought about this for decades, folks, decades. And then something really weird happened. So when I got my job here at Maricosta, I was asked to, to, to do a workshop for this group called Lifelong Learners. And basically, it's for, you know, like older people. I can't say it like, I can't say it. I mean, really old, like retirement age and beyond older folks, right? Lifelong learners. And uh, and it was structured like a workshop sessions and whatnot. So they always had like these new guest speakers come in. And, you know, since I was a, you know, a new faculty member, they invited me to come into the space. And I kid you not, I start, I start doing my, my, you know, my workshop and everything. And I see Miss Maris in the crowd. And I kid you not, I almost lost it right then and there. I was like, yo, Miss Maris. And I got super excited. But then I remembered I was doing a workshop. And so I had to collect myself again. But I was like, yo, please, let's talk. You know, let's talk after this and, and everything. And so and she was super excited. And quite honestly, she probably came because of me and, uh, and whatnot. And so we, she was just super excited. She told me later on that she saw my name and she wanted to come and everything. And the reason why this is an important part of the story is that so after I did a workshop, I go up to her and we hug and everything. And I'm just so excited to see her. And I told her, it's like, hey, you know, I'm working on my Ph.D. now. And, you know, you know. God's been so good and all of this stuff. And she was, and then I was like, you know, I still remember how 
how you mistakenly put me into the wrong reading level and and how I still did really well and how that still sticks with me. And this is what she said. She said, Bruce, that wasn't a mistake. We did that on purpose. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me. I mean, because for them to take that kind of chance on me, because think about it, if the experiment fails, bad things could have happened, right? I mean, think about it. It was like, if I had an active mother or a parent in my life and they found out that I mistakenly went up there and then I failed, man, they could have got really upset. But they took this chance on me. They saw something in me that I wish other people would have seen and would have acknowledged in earlier spaces in my life. And they took this chance on me. And I'll tell you what, it didn't help me work harder. Remember, it's like, and whatnot, that's from another episode and whatnot. But this moment in my life, when I passed that test, and then I got into that, you know, reading, or, you know, math level D, that really solidified for me that was actually pretty smart. It didn't make me work any harder, but I really felt like, yo, you know what? I'm actually kind of smart. And I'll just leave it at that. And so I told her that, and she was like, Bruce, we knew it. We knew you'd be fine. We knew you would do well. And so that wasn't a mistake. But we couldn't tell you. Basically, they were breaking the law. That's the kind of ally. That's not even an ally. That's an accomplice. Right. I mean, that for real, that's an accomplice. That's those folks literally intervened in my life. Mr. Sharman was in on it, too. Um, and I remember talking to him because after I talked to Miss Maris, you know, I asked, she still had his email and all of this stuff. And and I emailed him and I just told him how important he made me feel. I remember him just treating me like I was smart and that he wasn't surprised when I had the right answer and no one else did. I remember those moments like it was yesterday. And I told him, when I emailed him, I told him that I was working on my PhD and everything And he just wrote back that he was proud of me. And, you know, like he, I was like the third student that he had known of that had gone on to, to, to get their PhD and all that. And it was just such an incredible moment of closure for me of something I've struggled with my whole life. And it's all because these white teachers took a chance on me. Right, Miss Maris and Mr. Sharman, and then it happened because Mr. Brown literally just kept giving me work to do after I was done. 
And so, yes, the Mr. The, the Mr. Charmin, Miss Mara story, that's a big deal, folks. And when I say accomplice, I actually mean that, right? I mean, literally, accomplices. In order to change the trajectory of my life, it took two white folks to break the law to help me become the person that I am today. I'm not trying to say everyone needs to break the law. What I do want to say is, what are we willing to do in order to help students become everything it is that they're supposed to become? Even when we have a whole world and education system that dictates that we treat them differently than what we should. That's all I got, folks. I hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them. Not just the ones that are good already.